Green Divas and Green Dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to 50 Shades of Green Divas. I am your Green Diva Meg. And I am your Green Diva Max. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Why we do that all the time? It's just a thing. I don't know why I do that. What is wrong with me? I do it too. It's not right? just you. It's like we like that. But it's like, I don't know, we have this ooh, ooh thing. I, I just don't. Um, well, we're excited. Yes, because we love doing this stuff. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's cool to be able to do this. And we're in the studio. I mean, it's been fun going up to the Quas Studio, GD Studio Q. Right, and we're in Studio P. <laughs> GD Studio P. P. We have to watch our P's and Q's. <laughs> That's cute. Ooh. Oh, my God. Ooh. You're so darn clever I today. Don't know. Sometimes I eat that. It's all this green tea I'm drinking. <laughs> but anyway. Segway to tell me something good. Oh, man. You know, the old joke. Your mother was a goat. <laughs> well, you know, I think goats are so cute. And they are. They're, they have these goat videos. And, you know, I mean, the best place to see them is on a farm, of course. But, hey, YouTube and Facebook. What's with baby goats in pajamas I everywhere? They have baby goats in different pajamas and they're hopping and jumping. And you just want to go there and hop and jump and squeeze them because they're really cute. I mean, and there's also a book called Goat Man, How I Took a Holiday from Being Human by Thomas Thwaites, uh, where he really became one with the goats. He just he lived with the goats, and I, I don't know, maybe there'll be a Goat Man movie someday, and <laughs> maybe he'll give Spider-Man a run for his money. Who knows? Uh, and then there's, I know, Meg, you said something about goat yoga? Goat yoga is a thing it's a I, thing where they take the tiny goats i don't know if they're babies or just little pygmy little i it's a long story but anyway she discovered that it was kind of therapeutic and people seem to like it mm -hmm. so now it's becoming a thing where you can go to like a farm that has little baby goats and does yoga and have little goats crawling all over you while you're doing yoga that's crazy i mean it's just silly it's like beer you know yoga with beer but it's goats so it's fun instead of Om, it's Baram, you. you. Oh my God! From Babe, it might be that the movie Babe. Not really the, yes, and we've had uh, we've had a guest, um, James James Cromwell. He um, he he starred in being Baram, right? You. I remember that goat farms in Boonton. Yeah, we had a go. I, I I put it in our notes because we have a local farm that you know you can pay them a few bucks and you go in and they have all kinds of farm animals for the kids to play with but they have this whole baby goat thing you not only can feed them but they have these like systems of um like little bridges and things and they like climb all over everything they're we just adorable go. they're so fun. i want to go can you take me please? yes i will take and you. we can have goat's yes. ice cream milk after yes okay yes. that's cool exactly we like that 
So all this is good and fun, and we love goats, but it's kind of our segue, lame as it may be. I don't know. (laughs) It might be cute. But our topic today, which is all about local sustainable farms, and of course, many farms have goats. Right. Anyway, so that's our segue. So like according to World Bank and Kate Climate Data, uh, and that's C-A-I-T Climate Data, Agriculture accounts for up to 15% of CO2 emissions globally. So this is kind of why we're talking about it. It's a, it's a big contributor. And, of course, uh, meat production is probably the most offensive in terms of emissions. The environmental health impact of industrial farming includes deforestation, water use, water contamination, soil degradation, pollution, excess waste, especially for meat production. So this is why there is a movement now and why people are talking and supporting local small farms or at least regional farm systems. And as world population continues to grow, another topic we're going to talk about more deeply soon, more and more hungry people. It's growing more and more hungry people. I don't know. Big agriculture and its negative effects on climate change just get worse right it is uh big farms they just get bigger and uh small farms uh some of them aren't farms at all there's like 2.2 million farms there were in 1982 and there's about 2 million today and this was according to an article in 538.com in november of 2016 Uh, (laughs) there are more big farms and small farms and fewer in the middle and small farms are growing. Again, in 1982, there was 637,000 farms of 49 acres or less. And in 2012, or 2012, there were 800,000, uh, which was a 28% increase. So small farms now are defined as any place from which $1,000 of agriculture products are produced and sold. And they are called spreadsheet farms. People with two to three acres are selling produce uh, from these tiny farms, even though they might not be considered farms. But, hey, I I love going up in the country and going to the corn in the summer. You can go in and pull out this great corn and just drop something in a box. So that would be considered a spreadsheet farm? I don't know. But some argue that small farms can't feed the world. But researchers at the University of Minnesota Institute on the Environment analyzed census data on farming households in developing countries and cross-referenced that information with agricultural landscape data. The results showed that small holder farms are responsible for 80% of rice grown globally and three-quarters of the world's ground nut and oil palm supply. Um, If these estimates are right, it means that small-scale farms in the developing world are really, really productive, which is really, really wonderful and that the oft-criticized proclamation that only small farmers can feed the world might actually hit the nail on the head because small farms are taking up a lot of the agriculture and food that's feeding everybody. Yeah, and I, I really, really feel like there it should be true. And so I'm really glad that the University of Minnesota and other folks are trying to kind of prove that small farms can indeed feed the world because... 
I just don't want to contribute to any more of this industrial farming thing. So here's a couple of more statistics kind of backing that up, I think, that come from the same Minnesota research. And that's like 56% of Russia's agriculture output comes from family farms which occupy less than 9% of arable land. So again, that those are smaller farms producing an awful lot. And in Brazil, which is a huge country, 84% of their farms are small and control 24% of the land, yet produce 80%, 87% of cassava, 69% of beans, 67% goat milk. Goat the milk. Thing, yeah, and there we go with the goats again. <laughs> So it's just to say that in Cuba, 20, with 27% of their land, small farmers are producing 98% of fruits, 95% of beans, 80% of maize or corn, 75% of pork. So it can be done. It's being done. Just saying. Yeah. So there are many, many reasons to support local, sustainable, smaller farms, local economy, environmental impact, uh, fresher food, happier farmers, even security issues, as you know, we're going to hear about a little mm-hmm. bit today. So buckle up and let's talk about local sustainable farming. Yes, indeed. Everybody's going to shout, keep your hands up. So follow us, please, and interact on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook primarily, at The Green Divas or at TM Shades of Green. And at 50 Shades of GDs. That's right. I yeah. forgot that we you have that now. You got to throw that out there. Yeah. Keep yeah. forgetting. And find us, please visit our website, thegreendivas.com. For current stories, latest podcasts, videos, all these other fun things that we do. Yeah, Meg loves to play with that website and get some good stuff out. I try. I try. She tries. I try. She's good. She's really good. Okay, so stay tuned. More coming up. Farmers markets. They're popping up everywhere. And they're getting more popular, and it, it it's fantastic because now towns, uh, big and small, I mean, there's markets everywhere, it seems, uh, like giant ones in Union Square in New York City, and local markets here in, in, in the burbs. So it's like almost a town square sometimes, too, because you get to meet people in your neighborhood and see them happily buying fresh food. And they encourage local agriculture because the farmers are usually within 100 miles of, of, of the market. Uh, and you're supporting your local economy, you're getting fresh seasonal food, and you get to know your farmers. It's not just the farmer in the Dell computer that you see. It's the actual farmer in the Dell. I know, that was bad. But what can you say? <laughs> but again, these, far, these markets are, are very important, and it's uh, something that's a lot of fun to do. People have a love of food and 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 good food, you know. And so, when I was uh, I'm on the sustainability board in my town, and, and a number of years ago, we wanted to put this market together. And doing some research and trying to get this done was quite a deal, actually. 
and Nancy Lyman, you know, and I, she, she got the Bedford Cable people, and that's how we initially started. And we wanted it to be what I think it, it, it mostly is, it's a town square with people meeting and having food and music and... And do you find that to be, like, a, a major attraction? I mean, do you speak to people at the market, and what, how do they usually feel about I would say that I'm right there with you in terms of the piazza. That is, you know, my initial, when I was asked to take over the Hastings market, my initial impulse was to get great food there. But within one day of being there, uh, I realized this market was about so much more. And especially in the suburbs where people really miss their that intensity of living in the city and just seeing all the energy. I mean, people feel really isolated in their homes here, and this is the place where they bring all of their, you know, this is where you come and show off a new hat, a new baby, a new dog, um, a new dress. You know, it also has become the place where anybody who has a community issue that they want to share or they they call us and say, can we come to the market? So I think shoppers have come to see it. Also, as a place, it's a piazza, uh, much, much more than just about food. Okay, so slow money is a thing. And it was designed to sort of follow the slow food movement, which started, I guess, in Italy. And it's a movement that's helping to create stronger local economies through investment in small, sustainable farms and local farms. I did have a chance to chat with Woody Tash, who literally wrote the book on slow money a few years ago. When you say nothing is a food farm is a fertility matter, I've just become more and more amazed the more talked about this, how simple the basic idea is. It's, and at its root, it's, it's basically saying, if you think we're going to get a good world, we're going to come out with a happy outcome by, by all of us sending our money to people we don't know to invest in things we don't understand, located in places we've never been and don't even know where they are on the map. I mean, if you think that's that's a way to build a healthy world economy, then you should keep your money exactly where it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, very few people, when confronted with it that way, would say, yeah, I'll sign up for that. That sounds good. And, and then the alternative is what would be the, op- the opposite? The opposite would be taking our money and only putting it into things that we understand, you know, say near where we live and things that make our community healthier. We, we don't know how to do that because the economy doesn't quite, I mean, of course, and then you have to say the economy is set up to work that way. Go back, but it needs to go back in that direction. This is not, you know, we're not going to abandon the other economy, but, but you just get everyone to turn around a little bit and face in the opposite direction and say, let's just take a few steps in this other direction. How do small farmers tap into slow money or other local investment groups? Farming these days is more than growing produce or raising goats. Farmers need to know finance and be digital marketers. And yeah, they need their Dell because that's where they do their digital marketing. Uh, we recently spoke to Kevin Egolf, co-founder and manager of Local Farms Fund, uh, who brings his financial experience and passion for sustainable agriculture to help farmers obtain land and develop business practices for their farms that are environmentally and socially beneficial as well as profitable. Sure. 
local farms fund is an investment vehicle focused on assisting early stage farmers with land access. And what that really means is we are taking private investment capital and providing lease to own arrangements for farmers looking to get a head start in land access and land security that are looking for a long-term land tenure situation and might not be finding that available for them either because their leases are short-term or because they don't have the money to uh, purchase a farm outright at the time. Our goal is singularly focused on helping transition farm ownership to a next generation of farmer. There's several social and environmental missions associated with our activities and, and helping these farmers. And, you know, each investor that invests in local farms fund probably has different points that they are more excited about, whether it's supporting a next generation farmer, whether it's supporting farming practices that are more ecologically appropriate or whether it's supporting a local economy, which has ancillary benefits beyond that of, uh, you know, solely agriculture. So, you know, each, each person definitely is, when they're investing in us, are, are investing for a social and environmental reason. The purpose of Local Farms Fund, as I said, is to support the farmer and all those other benefits of supporting a small and sustainable farmer are, you know, really the credit of, of the farmer and the business that that farmer is creating. So we like to talk about the local economy. We like to talk about our ecological practices. We like to talk about the supporting the, the next generation farmer. Um, but you know, we're, we're focused on addressing one problem and fortunate to get a lot of ancillary benefits uh, associated with the, the way we're working and the types of farmers that we're working with. And I think, a lot of it comes down to the uh, the farmers just wanting to produce, you know, food that people want to eat and food that makes people feel good and food that uh, keeps them out of the, the hospital. And now it's time for Silly Science Facts with Green Diva Max. Hi. Hi, science fans of Unusual Science Facts. Uh, we're going to be talking about unusual farms. We've been talking, you know, about various local farm funds and markets and farmers markets and so... You think farmers grow certain things, but hey, some things are literally a bit out there. For instance, in keeping with our kind of goat theme that's been running through this, <laughs> there is a farm that raises spider goats. Yup. What? You heard that right. They are genetically modified goats that were developed on a farm run by Utah State University. These goats produce spider Spider silk, one of the strongest known substances and materials on Earth. Spider goats are just like regular goats. <laughs> but they are given superpowers. 
much like Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. After Spider-Man was bitten by a radioactive spider, his human DNA was rewritten and he developed abilities similar to spiders, plus super strength, and much like Superman, he was able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. The DNA in spider goats has been modified with the gene of a golden orb spider. After the goats are milked, spider milk protein is extracted, turned into silk, and used to make things like artificial tendons and ligaments, fishing line, and body armor. So much for Goat Tuesday videos. There are (laughs) real super goats among us. Uh, So, hey, unusual for sure. So now it's time to raise the heat. Another unusual farm, and it's the Hot Pepper Farm in South Carolina, which produces the insanely hot ghost pepper called the Carolina Reaper. Whoa, man. This pepper has made some people wish they were dead after tasting it. The Grim Reaper slash Carolina Insanity, which can reach 2 million Scoville heat units, burns both the tongue and the brain when even a tiny amount is consumed. Really? The brain? The brain. It's the brain. Uh, we spoke about this ghost pepper on a previous show. We'll have to put that on the web somewhere. Yeah. Um, it made one NPR reporter who ate a small piece of this pepper roll around on the floor and hallucinate. <laughs> and a reporter from Popular <laughs> Mechanics has similar experience. Both reporters wrote about their encounters with the killer pepper, and it was quite the burning experience. Oh, 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 oh. So those crazy and brave men who could have used the glass, they could have used the glass of moose milk to deaden the pain. Oh. Yes, again, you heard right. Moose milk. Really? Yeah. Bullwinkle? Bullwinkle and, uh, oh boy, the squirrel, Natasha, hey. <laughs> uh, there is a moose farm in Russia, the Sumarakova farm, which provides milk to the nearby sanatorium. Maybe some Russian hackers are there. Who knows? <laughs> um, and they use it for the treatment of peptic ulcers and other ailments. Boy, we, I think, have a lot of peptic ulcers in, in this country right now. You can check out YouTube. It's by all s- the vodka. The, 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 the vodka. The vodka and now the moose milk. Uh, you can check out YouTube by searching Moose Farms Russia to see how a 60-pound moose is no, milked. A 600-pound. I mean, excuse me, a 600-pound. <laughs> excuse me. 60 pounds would be a little puppy. But it is quite the sight. So now if you think that farmers just grow peas, carrots, and kale, think again. Moose milk, spider goats, and insanely hot ghost peppers. Oh, oh my. my. One cannot talk about supporting local farm systems without mentioning CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture. And we got a chance to ask Kevin about that, and he gave us a little quick definition. And I just want to throw this out there. I found out after the fact that I was a member of the first CSA noted in this country, according to Wikipedia, when I lived up in Great Barrington back in the 80s. Wow. And I saw Robin Van Ann's name, and she's you know credited with starting the first CSA in this country. I was like, oh. I didn't know I was part of the first co-op, I mean CSA. You were a CSA pioneer. Yeah. Hey. 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 That's pretty cool. CSA. 
PSA, it means Community Supported Agriculture. And the basic premise of a CSA is that the buyers are pre-funding the farmers by saying that I'm going to buy X amount of money from you over the course of the season, or I'm going to pay you know, a fixed price and you're going to give me commonly called the CSA box or so basically you you buy into the CSA and and that gives the farmer upfront money to plant seeds and to do all the stuff that they need to do. And if you're the CSA member, in return, you get the production from from that farm. And the great thing about the CSA is it's a it's a risk sharing tool for the farmer. So if you're if you're a CSA farmer and your business model is using this community supported agricultural system, and everyone pays up front and for whatever reason something happens to your production that that just impacts what the csa members get that year so it's really a risk sharing mechanism and it's very commonly used for for smaller farmers especially startup farmers that might not have working capital so the pre-funding of the csa membership can can be that that working capital speaking from experience of, of being a longtime csa member you ride the ups and downs of the season. Some seasons you get bumper crops of something and, and you enjoy tons of tomatoes and other seasons uh, a hailstorm comes through and kills all your tomatoes and you get none. And that's, um, you know, that's a risk that an, a, a farmer has to deal with. And if they're able to mitigate some of that risk and pass it on to the consumer, it's a, it's a win for everyone. So in keeping with our theme of closing with some wise words or poetic words or sometimes funny words, Green Diva Max has picked a couple of beautiful poems and that one I will read now. It's called Lying in a Hammock at William Duffy's Farm in Pine Island, Minnesota. It's by James Wright. Over my head, I see the bronze butterfly asleep on the black trunk, blowing like a leaf in green shadow. Down the ravine, beyond the empty house, the cowbells follow one another. Into the distance of the afternoon, to my right, in a field of sunlight between two pines, the droppings of last year's horses blaze up into the golden stones. I lean back as the evening darkens and comes on, a chicken hawk flies over, looking for home. I have wasted my life. And now I get to read an Emily Dickinson poem called The Products of My Farm Are These. The products of my farm are these, sufficient for my own, and here and there a benefit unto a neighbor's bin. With us, tis harvest all the year, for when the frosts begin, we just reverse the zodiac and fetch the acres in. You've been listening to The 50 Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and the Many Shades of Green 
on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com. <laughs> 